transformational truth number six. The way I perceive God will determine the kind of life that I give myself permission to build. Welcome to the Transformational Truth Podcast, where we're committed to eliminating the obstacles that take the joy out of life and leadership. Hey, everybody. So today's guest is Dr. Lynn Hiles. Dr. Hiles is from West Virginia and has 41 years of ministry experience. He's a five-time published author, and he is the host of his own international television program that's called That You May Have Life. Today, Dr. Hiles is going to help us take a deeper look at this episode's transformational truth. So let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Transformational Truths. I'm really excited about our guest today. He is a uh, friend. He has been a mentoring voice in my life. Dr. Lynn Hiles is with us today. And as you all know, uh, and Dr. Hiles, um, welcome to Transformational Truth, first of all. Um, Thank you. As our audience knows, we always begin with something we call a transformational truth, sort of a, an axiom that we believe can make a practical impact on the lives of people and the lives of leaders. Obviously, we have a burden, especially for pastors and leaders in ministry. But we talk about topics that are, are significant and will impact the lives of anybody, whether you're a stay-at-home mom uh, or you're leading from the pulpit or a Fortune 500 company. And I think today's topic is important. Here's the transformational truth, okay? The way I perceive God will determine the kind of life that I give myself permission to build. Um, let me just take a moment and set this up, Dr. Hiles, and then I'm going to bounce it to you, uh, because I know our audience is going to be incredibly benefited by your wisdom and insight. So, so this transformational truth, let me break it down. If I perceive God, for example, as a spiritual accountant, counting all of my imperfections and then deciding whether or not he's going to bless me today, then that is how I will relate to people in my life. That's how I will lead. It's how I will relate to my wife and my children. If, if I perceive God as a taskmaster, handing out new tasks every day, you know, hey, Travis, if you do this, you'll, you'll really, really please me. You'll, if you prove yourself to me with this task, well, then that's how I'm going to end up relating to people. And, and if I perceive God as a distant grandfather sitting in a rocking chair, handing out advice, then that's, that's how I'm going to relate to people. But that's not the Jesus of the Bible. That's not the way God wants to relate to me. I discovered this for myself uh, just honestly a couple years ago. Um, Dr. Howes, we're friends. Um, we've built a relationship. Um, I know your story. You, you've shared with me previously that the life that you started building is so much different than the life now that you've built. Entirely different because of how you started relating to God and how you discovered God's will was for how we relate to him. It was a revelation that you got yourself, and, and um, we can, I can relate to that. We just take a minute and speak to that, the, the life you started building, your background, how you started relating to God, and how you relate to God now. I thank you, first of all, for having me, Pastor Travis. And, uh, you know, uh, I guess probably one of the things while you were saying that that hit me, first of all, was, uh, you know, I began to discover 
first of all, that the gospel is not about a law you have to keep. It's about receiving a life that'll keep you. Oh, that's and, so good. And so, you know, and it's not about a bunch of rules. It's about a relationship. But one of the key things, and, and, and it's so basic and simple, but so many times people miss it. And that is that he is Abba. He's father. He's not an old man on a Victorian chair with a club in his hand ready to slap you if you fail. But he is a good, good father that, uh, you know, he will, that, that has your best interest in mind. And that's what I think we need to understand. First of all, he has our best interest in mind. And, uh, you know, my story is simply, you know, I grew up uh, uh, like many of us in the holiness, uh, I call it classical Pentecostal tradition, which I right. appreciate my roots for the experience of Pentecost, but a lot with it came a lot of legalism. And it made you feel like you were constantly being disqualified because what we would do, even as leaders, is get in the word and try to find out what's wrong with us rather than what's right with us. Oh, you know? that's so good. And a transformational truth that hit me early on was uh, out of First Timothy, or maybe a Second Timothy, where Paul says to Timothy, study to show yourself approved. Approved, right. And so we sometimes we, we read over that so quickly that we forget that what he's wanting us to do is not look for what's wrong with us, but to look for what's that we're approved. How did we get approved? We got approved on the basis of the work of Jesus and not on the basis of our performance. Wow. Wow. Dr. Howells, just stop just for a second right there, because something you said, there's, there's a lot of listeners right now listening to this and wait a minute, wait a minute. Did he just say what I think he said? Because the first time I had that revelation, I, it took me a minute. I'm lying. It took more than a minute. It took me about a week to really, to really come to grips with this idea. I spent my whole life hearing that verse out of context. I spent my whole life hearing that verse, to be quite frank with you, hearing it preached in, or taught in a very condemning fashion. You know, you have to learn Greek. You have to learn Hebrew. You, you've got to, uh, you, you've got to know Latin. You got to be able to read the Vulgate. You, you know, to be able to please God. But that's not what Paul was saying. Just pause for a second right there. I mean, there are leaders and people listening saying, wait a minute, Dr. House, are you saying that the more I study the Bible, the more I discover I'm already approved of God? Is that what you're saying? I am saying that. And, and the second part of that really helps to see what exactly how to look at it, because he said, uh, rightly dividing the word of truth. And like you said, that does not necessarily mean that I understand Greek and Hebrew. Of course, I'm not uh, opposed to education. Right. I, I think it's definitely good to understand the word. But what he, when he's saying rightly dividing the word of truth, what he's saying is understanding what is truth in relationship to the old covenant and what is truth in relationship with the new covenant. And so when you start to get a new covenant mindset, you're not looking for what's wrong with you. You're looking for the fact that you've been accepted in the beloved on the basis of the work and person of Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, um, you know, even uh, Paul wrote to Philemon, he said that the communication of your faith is by the acknowledging of every good thing that is in them. And so, uh, you know, wow. when you start to acknowledge the good thing, and that Abba loves you regardless. Now, he, he may, like I said, that doesn't mean he doesn't correct you, but his, his right. correction is not judgmental and it's not vindictive. It is always with your best interest in mind. But he also is, you know, I, I did a classic message years ago called the approval of a father will always empower a son. And mm -hmm. the criticism of a father will cripple a son. And I think so wow. many times we've been sitting under what we think is a critical, vindictive father, 
when he, you know, he gave, when Jesus came up out of the river Jordan, before he'd ever done a miracle, before he'd ever tested, he was tested before he'd ever preached a sermon, before he ever did anything. Father said, that's my son in whom I'm well pleased. That's an empowering thing that can only come when you know you are approved and accepted by the father, regardless, regardless of your in ministry, regardless of you stay in ministry, dad's still going to love you because mm. it's not about what you're doing. It's about who you are to him. And so, uh, you know, when we, we understand that identity that we are in the old covenant, perhaps servants and slaves. And I think uh, one of the things that I think that most leaders are going to have to do is lose their slave servant mentality. Oh, that's so good. For, Talk a, about for, that. for a sonship mentality that we are not, uh, servants and slaves that that are just under a bunch of commands of do uh, but we are sons and since we're sons we're heirs and that we we live our life in the context of sonship you know and and uh, living out of the relationship of a father as co-heirs and co-laborers with him you know, uh, we're not, you know, we're not saved by works, but we are saved for good works. But that's that again, our performance is not the basis upon which God receives us or loves us. You know, one of the things he said, um, you know, in the scriptures, and I've said this to many pastors, but I say, you know, there's a parable where Jesus said, for the kingdom of God is like a man who sowed seed in his field and sowed the seed of the kingdom in his field and then went to bed. And I would say to leaders, sow the seed and go to bed. You say, what does that mean? <laughs> that means rest in the power of the seed and rest in the power of the fact that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Oh, that's so, and so good. You know, we're, we're so busy building our brand that we forget about his brand. We're so busy building our ministry that we forget it's not about me or him. And even the way we measure success is not necessarily measure, measured in nickels and noses. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of people who are, you know, as Matthew 11 says in the Message Bible, that are tired and weary, burned out on religion. Right. And uh, he said, you know, he said to them in the message, he said, up until John the Baptist, the kingdom of heaven suffered violence and violent men seized the kingdom by force. But that all culminated with John. Most people don't read that. Uh, in the right translations that says it culminated with John. In other words, we used to have to grapple and fight, scrap and reach and right. fight. But he said, what's happening is if you walk with me, work with me, uh, he said, this is a unique father-son relationship, but I'm not going to keep it to myself. I'm going to go over it line by line with anyone willing to listen. And then he says, he said, "For he said, are you tired? Are you weary? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me and I'll show you how to take a re-arrest. Walk with me, work with me, see how I do it. And I'll teach you the unforced rhythm of grace. And so it's a wow. simple walking with him, working with him in a father-son relationship. Wow, that is that is uh, incredible, Dr. Howes. Um, I knew this was going to be rich. You said something uh, a couple of moments ago, and I want to just touch on that for the sake of our listeners. You said it's not about a bunch of rules. It's about a relationship. Um, I, I've heard you say it another way. I'm going to try to try my best to quote you. Uh, I heard you say it this way. It's not about a bunch of rules that you have to keep. It's about a life that keeps you. Right now, but there may be people listening to this and saying, but, but wait a minute, wait a minute though. Uh, there are rules in the Bible and there are commandments in the Bible. And, um, you know, I've been taught my whole life about these commandments that I need to keep. What do you mean? It's not about rules. It's about relationship. Can you just take a minute and speak to somebody who may have never heard that sort of that, that idea before and have always been sort of taught 
that that these are the rules you have to keep in order to quote unquote be pleasing to your father yeah well i think what we've done is put the, the cart in front of the horse so to speak and we've made it about you know uh, if you cross all the t's you know dot all the i's but uh, you have to remember that the the law of Moses, which was the old covenant, was given to the children of Israel 50 days after they left Egypt. They're at the foot of Mount Sinai, and Galatians 3 says that the law was added because of a transgression. That transgression was not just Adam's transgression. It was that they they failed to relate to God on the basis of the Abrahamic covenant, which only required faith. And God wanted to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt, and he wanted to have personal relationship with all of them. He wanted to make an entire nation of priests where everybody had access to God, where God would be to them a people, and he'd be to them a God. And, and so everyone would have uh, access to God. But when God came down on the mountain, and the mountain was altogether on the smoke, like the smoke of a great furnace, the people said to Moses, we're afraid of him. You go talk to him and whatever he says to you, we will do it. And if we do it, I'll be, that'll be our righteousness. That's the wrong answer. And mm. if you read Deuteronomy 5, it's the, the backstory to that. He says to them, listen, because you said in your tents, we're afraid of him. They forfeited a personal relationship with God for a mediator system and rules. And when you don't have a relationship, you have to have rules. And the less relationship you have, the more rules you have to have. But in the new covenant, Peter talks about God restoring us back to that priesthood of the believer when he said, you're a chosen generation and a royal priesthood. And he restores us back to a covenant similar to Abraham's covenant, which is swallowed up in the new covenant, that we believe and simply walk by faith. And so what happens is, is that in that climate where it's not about rules, it's about relationship, out of those relationships, you have this life transformation. And in case somebody would think, but I'm saying you can live any kind of a lawless life. Paul gives some guidelines in the new right, covenant. Right. He does say in Colossians, you know, since this is true about you, but that's what you got to see and view the fact, therefore, that you've been, uh, you know, since then you've been raised is what King James says. In other words, says if you, it's in, in view of the fact, therefore, that you've been raised, the things above be constantly seeking and then put away from you these things. And he begins to talk about things that are not becoming to saints, but he's not saying your acceptance is on that basis. What we're doing is we're trying to get people, you know, see, see, law can, can, can change behavior. Grace changes the heart. Ah, that's so good. Law, law can conform you. Grace will transform you. It's the classic Romans 12 dilemma. Be not conformed to this world. And he's not talking about, you know, when he's talking about world, he's there. He's really in the context of that. He's talking about that old covenant paradigm. Don't be conformed. In other words, uh, you know, but be transformed. I think Wu's translation says, stop assuming an outward expression that does not come from within you, but change your outward expression to be faster after the real you, the inward you. So what we're talking about is inward change that still, again, flows from rest. This is where, you know, when God, again, God, I know I'm talking an awful lot here, but when God came down on that mountain in uh, Exodus, 50 days after they left Egypt, he gave them the law, rules on rocks. 3,000 people dropped dead in the new covenant 50 days after Jesus is the true lamb of God. They're in an upper room and God gives them the Holy spirit so that the Holy spirit is to the new covenant, what the law was to the old covenant. And so if the Holy spirit can't transform your life, 
you know, then we're wasting right. our time with a bunch of rules because even if you keep the, the every jot and tittle of the law and your heart's not changed, it's not, it's not, it, 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 you know, what, what does it avail, you know? So the, you, you said something that I want to highlight and touch on. And if you're listening to this, you might want to uh, hit rewind and just listen to about the last two or three minutes over and over again uh, for a little while, because it was so important. Listen, Dr. Howes, when I came, I had a head-on collision with this new covenant and realized that um, I had spent most of my Christian life with this leadership life, Christian life, trying to serve God, trying to serve in the ministry, uh, relating to God on the basis of my works, relating to God on the basis of, quote unquote, my own righteousness. Now, I say that, but I didn't know that at the time. Um, I I think at the time, fundamentally, I knew I had no righteousness. I got that. I think in general, we get that. But it's subtle because of the way I perceived God, that my Sunday morning attendance as a pastor, that, uh, you know, um, whatever you receive in tithes and offerings, whatever the metrics are, quote unquote, that people tell you you need to to be significant or or make a significant impact. Um, These these very temporary uh, markers that we would use to ascribe worth and value always kept me and many of the peers, friends that I know, on these roller coasters of, of affirmation. One day you feel good, next week you feel horrible uh, because we related to God on the, really the basis of sort of an old covenant idea. Um, and it took me a while to get my head around that. And yep. uh, here, here's how I would describe to, to those listening um, my experience with this. My why has changed. Uh, it, it's it's not, I don't have to, I get to. Yeah. And that's probably one of the most basic explanations for me. If somebody asks me, my why has changed. I don't have to, I get to. And and talk a little bit about that. You Because you, you, you mentioned something about servanthood and sonship. That's so important because we oftentimes glamorize, you know, almost in a self-righteous way, not intentionally. Uh, and I can only speak for myself, but you know, the, the whole objective was always to be the greatest servant I could be. And I pursued God that way. Let me be, but, but God in the story of the prodigal son, he doesn't allow his son to relate to him that way. His son tried to be a servant. Could you just talk to that for a moment? Yeah, I think that's one of the greatest stories, even of the whole, we, we always emphasize the prodigal you know, the one that left and came back. Uh, and we emphasize the fact that he went to the hog pen and so forth. And that's, that's, but that, but I think that's the success story because at least he comes back to father and, and, uh, and even comes back with this, a mentality that says, you know, father, uh, even the servants in your house have it better than I do. Right. Make me a servant and uh, make me a servant. And the father said, no, you're a son. And here's the, here's the robe. Here's the ring without getting a shower or cleaning up, he's, he's called him a son. But the tragedy is the story of the son who, like many pastors or leaders, sat in the house with this mentality. Father, I served you my whole life, and you never once gave me a kid to make merry with my friends. I think the tragedy of that story is we can sit right in the house and realize that all the Father has already belongs to us, and we still have a servant mentality. Father, I have served you my whole life, and I think that's the drudgery of many ministries, 
that uh, against, especially when you measure yourself by nickels and noses or right. you get your identity from your, what you do. And it does not just ministry. It can That's be right. any, anything. People get their idea. And the moment that's shaken, their whole world is shaken. Some of the most successful leaders I know don't pastor mega churches. That's right. Some of the most significant voices don't pastor mega choices, uh, churches. And we, we get in there with, and it's a slippery slope when you start to get on that whole, I served you, because it, it really leads to being that whole, we, we get caught up in this pharisaical spirit. That's a result of that measuring yourself by yourself. And Paul said, that's not good. But, uh, you know, and again, you know, uh, there is such a peace and a rest that comes. And I think that, uh, you know, we, we find that it, I, I think that if that older son in the story of the prodigal would have asked for a kid, which really speaks to me when he asked for a kid, he's talking about having an understanding of the true lamb of God, the sacrifice that should have brought him an understanding that he was accepted in the beloved on the basis of that sacrifice. But I'm convinced if that older son would have asked for a kid and made merry with his friends and had a party once in a while, the younger brother would have never left home looking for one. Wow. And I, I believe people leave the church, they leave the ministry, they leave all kinds of stuff because they are just weary, burned out on this performance thing instead of realizing, listen, this is an incredible, abundant life journey. And I mean, it, you know, I, you know, the thing is, even with me, uh, Pastor Travis is that, you know, through this whole journey, having seen the gospel like we do through the lens that we do, we've not lost our kids. We've not lost our children. Uh, you know, my mother passed not long ago, but uh, there's 73 of us and all of them, except for one, I believe, is really serving the Lord and enjoy. We never lost them because this message and it's more than a message. It's a person. It works. Right. And it makes journey where you don't feel like you're rejected, even when you make a mistake, because what, what happens is, is I think that this, the kind of performance we're talking about makes people put masks on, yes. makes them put on a facade where they got to hide. And even if they have problems in their life, they don't know where to turn, where they can be transparent and get some kind of help and not feel like they're going to be rejected. But when you realize I'm a son in father's house, he's not going to reject me. He knows me already. He loves me and he's going to love me and continue to love me. You know, we, we preach him like he loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. Right. He loves me. Right. I hope, right. I hope I only loves me, but you know, he wants to have a relationship with me. He, he enjoys my company, Travis. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Amen. I, Amen. I, go ahead. No, I, this is so rich. Um, you mentioned, you know, the wrong message makes us put on a mask. I discovered um, that, it not only makes us put on a mask, but it encourages us to wear a mask. Uh, and then here's what happens. We end up putting on a mask that we think people will love um, only to resent people because they're loving a version of you that's not real. Yeah. And it is producing and reproducing insecurity and reproducing feelings of, of inferiorities. And it's impacting our marriages. It's impacting the way we relate to our, our children it's yeah. impacting the way we relate to people at work. Our ministries are, are for pastors. They're, they're, they're shepherding, they're preaching, et cetera. Um, and you said something important. This is for everybody. This isn't just for people that are quote and unquote in positions of leadership. I mean, I've seen, I've seen um, married people uh, compare their marriages against others and never feel like they're good enough. I've seen, you know, people uh, 
find identity in their, in their children's lives, you know, and compare their kids against someone else's kids or their careers or their churches, whatever. And it robs us of peace and it robs us of joy because we think our value and our worth comes from these things. When in reality, they come from the heavenly father who says, I unconditionally love you. I unconditionally love you. Whether, you know, all the wrinkles, all of the mistakes, all of the failures, all of the broken places, I love you and you do not have to earn this love. You just have to believe. Yeah. Um, talk about that for a second, Dr. Hiles. Well, I, I think first of all, you know, God is more interested in healing our brokenness than he is judging our sin. And so sometimes I think that we, we uh, you know, we put an emphasis on the moment I do something wrong, you know, the judgment of God is going to hit me or, uh, and, and so that, and like I said, I think that it builds over a period of time until you get to this point where you're putting that same kind of pressure on your spouse or your team to try to produce, because it's always about how people perceive our image and right. what look like. And, and, uh, and, and, and there's no authenticity in that. We don't live authentically. And that's why we're miserable. We, 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 we don't live out of a real true identity. Even that's our so relationship with God. I was thinking while you were saying that a minute ago, I have a Bishop friend uh, and every time he preaches, he's profound uh, when it comes to relationship. And every time he preaches, uh, you know, well, the first couple of times I heard him talk about how he relates to God, I thought, boy, you know, I don't know if my relationship's that good. I don't relate to God like that, you know, and I just, you know, I felt like I was condemned and guilty, like I didn't pray enough. I didn't read enough. I wasn't right. doing enough. And boy, the Lord stopped me. He said, listen, don't you judge your relationship between you and I based on the relationship I have with him. Our relationship may be totally different. It's like you said with marriage or whatever. The worst thing you can do is try to compare your marriage with somebody else's marriage. Right. You know, and you know, you're going to be uh, trying to meet what you think the ideal relationship is. And, 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 and it may be better than, because sometimes what people put out there, like, like even on Facebook or public profiles, that's their public, uh, that's their public uh, uh, campaign of uh, their identity. And it's when you meet these people, it's like, Oh Lord, what you put on Facebook is not what's there. And so I think it's just simply living authentically out of that relationship and knowing that, uh, you know, I think that, that we have to, we have to get people and leaders to go back. And, uh, you know, I think I preached a text at your church at James one and take a look yes. into the perfect law of Liberty, the man in the mirror, you know, in James one, where he said, a, a, a man who is a hearer of the word and not a doer is like a man who beholds his natural face in a glass and straightway he forgets what manner of man he was and goes his own way. That man becomes a hearer and not a doer. What, he, what it is, is the man in the mirror, he said, if you look into the mirror, which is the word of God, and you behold your natural face, that's the Greek word Genesis, or the face of your beginning, your new birth, who God originally made you to be. Wow. Wow, and this is so and, important. And, and, and then you look at who you are, and it's not the perfect law of Moses. It's the perfect law of liberty. And when you look into the perfect law of liberty, and then don't forget that the man in the mirror is the new man. You will live out of your new identity rather than your facade or your image or your, because, you know, we are called, you know, the key here sometimes is that we are called to be image bearers in the earth. But that doesn't mean, again, performance. That means we behold him. 
in who he is. Yes. And as we behold him and who he is, we become a reflection of that in the earth. So if I see an austere old man on a Victorian chair with a club who's always looking for my failures, then I'm going to be that as a father. I'm going to be that right. as a because I'm going to reflect however it is I perceive God. Right. And so, so I believe that's why Paul would say, I profess to know nothing among you but Christ and him crucified. And as we, I believe that what's happening to us uh, and, and a lot of leaders just like you, Travis, is that we are representing a God who's a good God. Right. Uh, Isaiah said that his visage was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men, so that when you see him, there's no beauty that you would desire him. And I know that's talking about his passion and what he did in his, his redemptive work, but I think sometimes we've so misrepresented God to the world that he, there's no beauty that they desire him. However, the Song of Solomon said, my beloved is altogether lovely. Right. And if we represent him as being loving, if we can just truly see, well, that's what happened. I got on a journey looking for him, not looking for something to do, but trying to behold him. And I started discovering this God that I knew, this God that I encountered when I first got saved, that I, I knew was a good God and religion told me he wasn't. I started rediscovering he's better than I thought he was. Hmm. And the journey keeps on getting better and better and better. And if I had no ministry, if I had no, uh, you know, fame of people, whatever that is, I would still be happy to sit on my porch knowing that dad is, Abba is absolutely in love with me. He enjoys my company. He can't hardly wait till I get up in the morning to start talking to me. You know, sometimes he talks to me in the middle of the night and I think, come on up, but let me sleep just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I know you don't slumber or sleep. <laughs> I believe he enjoys my company. Yeah. You know, I just really do. And I think it's the overflow out of that, that, uh, you know, I, I believe that, that, that ministry flows from it, you know, so it, yeah. it, it's a whole lot easier. Yeah. What, let me ask you a question, Dr. Howes. Why do you think, so when I first started, let me just share with our audience as well, you know, uh, my own journey in discovering God the Father and the new covenant of grace and uh, relating to God this way. Let me just say, first of all, my testimony is, is um, it's transformed my life. Uh, my marriage has never been better. Uh, it's always been, we always have been blessed with a good marriage, but I didn't know it could be this rich. Um, the way I relate to my children has changed. My ministry is changed. The way I relate to my ministry team uh, has changed. Um, but why is it that initially we can be apprehensive about this message? I, I, I know when I heard it first, it was a sound that I knew was right, but I couldn't articulate why. And um, I said, this, this is truth. I was face to face with truth. Um, the finished work of Christ on the cross uh, Jesus, he said, he proclaimed, he said, I'm establishing a new covenant with my blood. I, I had read that verse for countless communion Sundays at my church and never really understood what Jesus was announcing. It was this glorious announcement of an old covenant passing away in a new one being on the scene. And we would relate to God from that perspective or from, from that new covenant. Why initially can it be very challenging for some of us who've been brought up in the church to relate to God this way or, or hear this message and receive this message? Well, I think some of it's fear. Uh, I think that we're afraid if we preach the new covenant 
And that, the, the biggest thing you hear all the time is that, uh, you know, you, y'all preaching grace is going to give people a license to sin. Yeah, well, right, first, right. First of all, people have been sinning without a license for years. But right. uh, I, I say this clearly. Grace is not the cause of sin. It is the antidote for it. Where grace, where sin abounds, grace will super abound. That's hyper, mm. hyper, hooper is the Greek word there. And so if you've got hyper sin, you need hyper grace. Now, what that means to different people, but what it is, is that grace is not only forgiving, but an empowering grace. And I think people are afraid. And I think even as leaders, secondly, we're afraid to lose control. Uh, we're afraid to lose control of people because we use a lot of times a mixture of long grace to try mm. to manipulate or control certain kinds of behavior. And, uh, you know, uh, like once again, what we did was we changed behavior, but we didn't change hearts. So we got a bunch of people who are doing things, but their heart's not in it. And, uh, you know, and I, I think that, uh, you know, I think that uh, we, we, we sometimes are afraid of that because we, we get identity again from look how much, you know, look how broad phylacteries I've got, or my long prayers for pretense, or I'm, I'm the holiest guy in the room, or, you know, I'm a glow-in-the-dark preacher, and uh, that's just too much pressure to live under, in my opinion. Yeah. You, know, uh, you know, I just think that there's such a peace and a rest in walking, you know, in and knowing that I am uh, who God said I am. And that, uh, you know, I think that the, the key, again, is that here, I think this is powerful to say. The new covenant is not an addendum to the old one, and that's what a lot of people mm. think. It's Jesus plus the rules. Right. But it's not. It's not. It's a whole completely different coverage. Like you said, the night before his decease, Jesus took that uh, cup and that bread. He said, "This." He said, "With great desire have I desired to eat this Passover, because he knows this is the last time they will ever have to kill a woolly lamb. That he's inaugurating a brand new covenant. Right. That is on the basis not of performance, but on the basis of faith and grace, and it's both right. of them." Now, this, let me say this as well. I'm, I'm probably talking too long here, but uh, you know when he he it, it's grace. Uh, we're saved by grace through faith. It's both of them held in a careful tension. In other words, and it's not if you preach grace without preaching faith, you're going to have people who feel like okay, it's just I can act any way I want. If you put, preach faith without grace, you're going to get into formulas and did you say it right? And even that becomes a law. Did you hold your mouth right when you said it? Right. But what faith does is it says grace, first of all, grace made me who I am. Faith says, I believe that. And I appropriate by faith what's been provided by grace. So if I believe I'm a new creature, I'm going to act like a new creature. If I believe right. I'm the righteousness of God, I'm going, to, I'm going to act like I'm the righteousness of God. Because I'm walking out of what I believe to be true because the just will live by faith. And if there's a problem somewhere in my life, it's because I'm weak in faith and I just don't need to be torn down and beat up. I need somebody to come back and remind me that once I was darkness, but now I'm light. Now I'm a new creature. I am a image bearer in the earth. I'm a son of the living God. And there's something about that that gives you uh, something that builds you up and edifies you to where you walk out of that. And I think it, that, I, I, you know, and the second, I, I've said so many things about it, but even preaching, you have to decide who you're going to preach to. Am I going to preach to the old man, right. Adam? And if I preach to the old man, Adam, I have to preach from the old covenant to modify his behavior. Or I'm going to preach to the new man, the new creation, and, and try to develop and mature him. And if I do that, I'm going to preach the new covenant. 
And so I think that we hold on to some of the things because we've got cute little messages that we preach from an old covenant paradigm that we don't want to let go of that and get on this journey and let God give me the next piece and the next piece and the next piece and the yeah. word that he wants to release to my people. And it is a journey. And sometimes it is a little bit unnerving, but when you trust him, when you sow the seed that you do have, he'll give you another one. Yeah, that's okay. so good. Yeah. That's so good. Um, uh, I, I've discovered in my own journey um, that sometimes if we don't, if we're not equipped with the right message, if we, uh, if we relate to God um, from the wrong side of the cross, so to speak, from an old covenant kind of paradigm, um, what we unintentionally in the church can do and I mean that when I say unintentional, I, I did it unintentionally, didn't know I was doing it. Um, I think we can unintentionally communicate to people that it's not okay to be broken, that yeah. it's not okay to not be okay. And when we communicate that message, what we end up doing is we end up teaching people rather than how to heal, we teach them how to pretend they already are. Yeah, It's hard to heal from something that you pretend you're already healed from. And so we end up burying the brokenness instead of really healing from our brokenness. Yeah. And anything we bury, any seed we bury is going to produce a harvest. I've discovered that if I, if I sow broken seeds, I'm going to produce a horrible harvest of multiplied brokenness and devastation later. And I think that's one of the most freeing attributes of understanding the new covenant message of God's grace. It creates this sense yeah. of liberty. I think, I think Paul addressed it very plainly and clearly. It creates liberty. It's the law of liberty. Let me just read you something from, from the Message Bible in, uh, in Romans 8, because it's just almost saying almost word for word. Says, With the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, that fateful dilemma is resolved. Those who enter into Christ being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous low-lying black cloud. A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a faded life of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. God went for the juggler when he sent his own son. He didn't deal with mm -hmm. the problem as something remote and unimportant. In his son, Jesus, he personally took on the human condition, entered the disordered mass of struggling humanity in order to set it right once for all. The law code, weakened as it was, was fractured by human nature, could never have done that. The law always wow. ended up being used as a Band-Aid on the sin instead of the deep healing of it. And now what the law code asked for but we couldn't deliver is accomplished as we, instead of redoubling our own efforts, simply embrace what the Spirit is doing in us. Those who think they can do it on their own end up obsessed with measuring their own moral muscle and never get around to exercising it in real life. Those who trust God's action in them find that God's spirit is in them living and breathing God. There's so many things that that says. Wow. About. But I think what we've done is we have really, I, I, one of these days I'm going to preach a message, Travis, and I'm going to build a whole box of band-aids and I'm going to just stick them on people. Talk. Here's our sin management programs. And that's what we've done with churches. We've made it sin management programs, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, being accountable to somebody. And I'm not saying some of that's not good as far as being accountable and stuff like that, but this, we've made sin management programs that are band-aids on sin. And then yeah. I'm going to sing that song. I'm stuck on band-aid cause band-aid stuck on you. you know. <laughs> and then I'm going to start preaching grace and I'm going to start ripping band-aids. Cause what we have to do sometimes is get rid of the band-aid. Uh, wow. And put that fake, 
facade on. Wow. Put that mask on where you never get healed. Make no mistake about it. Those of us who preach grace, or at least me, uh, I won't answer for everyone, but we, we desire to see God transform lives. But we, 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 don't, we don't do that under the guise of God threatening you. We don't do that under the guise of, uh, you know, threatening, uh, you know, some retribution. Uh, your, your problem is not God. Your problem is, is, is reaping sometimes what you sowed. But mm. God is there to rescue. He's the Savior. He's the Redeemer. And he does want to save us. Right. And he will. And, and the, but the thing is, is I have found more genuine change in my life in the climate of freedom and grace by simply embracing what the Spirit does in me rather than redoubling my own efforts right. and trying to do it under the law. Dr. House, we're, we're starting to run out of time. Um, the transformational truth today was the way I perceive God yeah. will determine the kind of life I give myself permission to build. Take, take just 30 seconds or so and, and tell us what kind of life does God give us permission to build? Well, he gives us a life that, you know, this text goes on to say that we can greet God with a what's next, Papa. Wow. You know, he said it's not, a, it's not a grave tending life. In wow. Words, that's what we made Christianity is we made it a grave tending life. But I think we can come to a place where we greet God with a what's next, Papa. This is an exciting journey. And I perceive him as a good, good father. We sing about it but I don't know if it really dawns on us how good he really is. And I think the moment you realize how good he is, and I think Jesus in the New Testament tried to show us exactly what God looks like, and he is a good father. He wants to heal us. He wants to deliver us, and he wants to uh, you know, give us the best life on the planet, the abundant life. Deuteronomy 11 said he wants to give us the days of heaven on earth, and I believe that's what we can live right now. Amen and amen. Incredible. Dr. Hiles, thank you today. You have yep. uh, sowed some eternal seeds in the hearts of all of us today. Thank you. Dr. Hiles, tell us, where can we find you? Where can our listeners find you? Uh, the easiest way to find me is at www.lynnhiles.com. That's my website. Or you can go to my uh, YouTube channel, which is Dr. Lynn Hiles, that you might have life. And all of the TV programs and videos we've aired to date are there, but I'm all over YouTube. But the website is the easiest way because it has a link there to our YouTube channel, to our podcast, to our RSS feed. All of that is there and all of our products are there. So uh, that's the easiest way to get to us. Fantastic. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you, Dr. Hiles. We're so grateful you were here. If you'd like to connect with Dr. Lynn Hiles, check out the links that I included for you in the show notes. And if Transformational Truths is helpful to you, please do me a favor. Take a moment, go over to Apple iTunes and rate the show and write me a quick review. This is going to help us reach more people faster. We want to help you restore the joy to your life and leadership. Thank you.